Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey guys, before we get started on today's episode, I wanted to let you know that we dropped a- another podcast. It's called, Is This Art? Question mark with Sinead It's DeFries. not called that. Is it art? Oh, is, what did I say? Is this <laughs> is art? Is this art? I'm sorry, it was one word off. It's the name of the fucking we show. We just started it yesterday. I don't care. Cut me a break. <laughs> no. All right, let's start over. Okay. Hey, guys, before we get started on today's episode, <laughs> I just want to let you know that we dropped another podcast. Yeah, we're crazy. It's called Is It Art? Question mark with Sinead DeFries, which is me. So go subscribe to that. And it's basically just knows presenting me works works in strong quotations uh, of hey, art. <laughs> and seminal, <laughs> groundbreaking works of art. Right, and me being me, questioning all of it and wondering why the hell things are called art when mostly it's junk. So, would yeah. You, would you say in the show you ask yourself, is it art? I think it hurts mark? my brain <laughs> just to talk about all of these things, but it'll be very entertaining for people to listen to. And if you are like me or you're like Nils, this is the show for you. So go subscribe to that, please, and leave a rating and review so we can get the word out on that one also. All right. With that being said, let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Let Me Tell You a Story. I'm your host, Sinead DeFries, and I'm once again joined by my lovely, lovely, spectacularly wonderful, sexy boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, fuck. It's Mr. Nils Davey. Hello. Hey, baby. Hi. Are you ready for this? Yeah. I've only been writing it for 14 hours, so I hope you're ready. Better be good. Oh, God. (laughs) Ready? Yes. Mark and Dolores Stepp and their daughter Francine Stepp were your classic, maybe stereotypical, all-American family. Both Mark and Dolores were Navy veterans, and their only daughter Francine was a bright young student with an even brighter future. Her parents would make sure of that. I mean, two Navy vets for petter... for petterants? (laughs) Two Navy veterans for petterants? Two Navy vets for parents... I'm pretty sure that it's safe to assume that the step home was in tip-top shape, run by both Mark and Dolores with often uncompromising authority, and that included all matters pertaining to their daughter, Francine, also. But such a well-put-together couple with an incredibly intelligent and well-behaved daughter surely painted the picture of a pretty damn close-to-perfect little family. Don't you think? Especially when both of your parents... Are vets? Yeah, I mean, it sounds a little bit miserable. It does. But also very organized and clean. <laughs> very clean. <laughs> so in 1979, good year, babe, good year, mm. the Steps had ultimately made the decision to pack up their belongings, their memories, and Francine, and leave the house they called home in Wisconsin to begin a brand new chapter in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! What doesn't it just sound like paradise? Yeah, yeah, sure. I used to live in Oklahoma. I know you did. How was it? I liked it. Was pa- it quiet? Pa- apart from the tornadoes. Yeah. Uh it was. Yeah, it was quiet. Nice countryside. Wow. Lots of shooting, beer cans, and drinking in dive bars. Yeah. Sounds like a dream come true yeah, for you. Though. I told you I liked it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Now, it's always a big move when you relocate to another state. And honestly, I was thinking about this earlier. I've done it one time, but it is a nightmare, right? Like moving your shit from one state to another is just a big deal. There's a lot that goes into that. I think that depends on how much shit you have. You take with you. And you are a hoarder. That's true. So you Can you imagine me trying to move states? Yeah, you would have to have a truck just for empty boxes. Totally, all my packaging. <laughs> uh, I just think that doing it as a family, too, must be really, really tough. But it honestly seemed like the steps eased into Oklahoma life. Mark took a job as a technician at a local power plant, while Dolores worked as the accounting supervisor at Oklahoma State. Francine began school. She joined the Girl Scouts. She got good grades. She won tons of academic awards and achievements. So altogether, it appeared that the steps were thriving in Oklahoma. Nothing about shooting beer cans, but, you know, for them, this is thriving. Not yet. But as the years came and went and Francine got older, becoming a teenager, her parents' domineering nature and control over her whole entire freaking life began causing some serious tension in the step house. Mark and Dolores had a say in every aspect of Francine's life, including school, obviously, her future plans beyond school, and most annoying to Francine, her choice of friends, what she did with those friends, when she got to hang out with those friends. You get the picture. That's a lot. Not to mention, being a teenage girl is hard enough on its own. I know. I was, I was there once. It was awful. I fought with my mom constantly, like all the time, like all the time. So I can't even imagine. I think most of us know that teenagers just rebel against their parents. That's like the thing, right? Being a teenager is hard. You got a lot of hormones and feelings and emotions. And when you have two overbearing parents, I cannot even imagine what that must be like. Okay, but like now you're not a teenager. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about teenagers? Well, I think that's the beauty of it is looking back on your teenage years, you're like, wow, I was crazy. Yeah. Or like, wow, everything was a big deal. Everything was a big deal, right? Teenagers are the worst. They're the worst. It's the worst age to be. But it's also like the time when as a parent, you have to be the most compassionate and understanding that a lot mm. of the times teenagers have zero control over those like hormonal feelings. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it through <laughs> teenage years. Well, he's a boy, so you're going to have to deal with all that shit. No. But Mark and Dolores Step didn't give a fuck. Every day after school, Francine was expected to return home immediately. And on the weekends, she was rarely allowed out with the other kids her age. By this point, Francine already had her driver's license, but that didn't even really allow her any more freedom than what was deemed appropriate by her parents. They decided if and when she could use the car, where she could go, when they did allow it, and that was just usually to school and back. Which sounds like a freaking blast. (laughs) (laughs) This poor girl. Super fun, though. Super fun. That's how my household was. I'm so sure. You moved out when you were 16. (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) But by forcing Francine to remain close to home for most of her childhood and teen years, Mark and Dolores had unknowingly enabled their daughter's growing friendship with Cindy Sue Wynn. That's a great name. Mm Mm-hmm. Cindy and Francine went to school together and became fast friends because the Wynn family lived right next door Mm. to the steps, Mm. which worked out perfectly for Francine since she wasn't really allowed to go anywhere else in, like, her front yard, apparently. Francine and Cindy were total opposites. Francine was quiet and reserved and very mild-mannered. No surprise there. Cindy, on the other hand, was a bit of a firecracker. But their friendship may have been based more on just an opposites attract type of situation. Francine obviously had a lot to deal with at home, and the same was the case for Cindy Sue Wynn. 
Cindy and her mother, Mitzi, Mitzi, by the way. <laughs> Mitzi Wynn. Mitzi Wynn. They reportedly had a pretty volatile relationship. And I'm sure Cindy didn't help ease the tension in her house when, just months before high school graduation, Cindy up and dropped out of school. I read in a few reports that Cindy actually moved in with the steps for a bit, which, I mean, Mark and Dolores, that's like pretty ballsy for them. But they allowed Cindy to move into their house after she was kicked out of her own home, after she dropped out of school and like her relationship with her mom just like absolutely went down with the shitter. Hmm. So she moved in with the steps, but then Mark and Dolores quickly realized that Cindy... He's terrible. <laughs> ...was awful. <laughs> and they were like, uh-uh, no, we can't deal with Cindy's shit, Francine. Tell your friend she has to go. Oof. So Cindy got her own apartment, which what? only showed... Yeah, she's 18, high school senior, but... Someone's smoking? I don't know. Is it a poltergeist? That's my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, did you just fart? No. So Cindy got her own apartment, which only showed Francine what real freedom really looked mm-hmm. and felt and tasted like. That sweet, sweet freedom. Yeah, I'm sure the girls were both just like super happy to be able to escape their own homes as, as soon as Cindy got her own apartment, right? I mean, there is nothing like that first house when you're on your own away from your parents it's like shocking but in a good way especially when you're ready for it when you're not so ready for it it can be a little bit daunting because like moving to LA we thought we were ready for it but we were met with so many things right off the bat so it was very quickly like what are we doing like Like what like on my first day in LA I did see someone take a shit in the crosswalk yeah you're like adult life here we come (laughs) I was like where am I (laughs) mom dad but you're right once a couple days had passed and we realized uh, we're adults, we can do this. It, it does feel so liberating and you feel so, you're like proud of the things you have now. I loved it. I, did, I think it was stressful because you're like, how am I going to buy food? How do I cook food? Like all of these things. But All the things you took for granted. Yeah, but I think it's definitely, it's definitely like a new world experience. Like, a, oh, wow, this is my life now. I think you feel like an adult, but I think there's a little bit of like imposter syndrome, right? Where you're like, why is anyone letting me live on my own? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I should not be allowed to. Yeah, it's like home alone or something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's a little bit of like, this isn't right. This doesn't feel right. No. Just like when we had a kid. I'm like, this isn't. How did they let us take this kid home? Yeah, how did they let us take this kid home? (laughs) And I feel like, especially for people like Cindy and Francine, who have awful at-home lives and don't really feel like there's anybody to talk to, for them it must have been not only this feeling of like, oh my God, is this really happening? But also just so satisfying to get out of their own homes. Oh, you can't hang out with that person. We don't like them. No, oh, you can't insane. go out. Oh no, I'm sorry. What time does your What time does your shift end at work? Okay, great. We expect you home five yeah. minutes after that. Like that's next level. No, that's insane. I didn't have that problem because I didn't have any friends, so it was fine. Oh my god, that's so, sad. <laughs> so yeah. So the girls were just stoked to have a different place to go to other than their own homes, especially since things only got worse in Francine's home after high school. She enrolled at Oklahoma State, where her mom worked. Soon as. And that only lasted a few months. She dropped out, Oof. and she hadn't even made it to the end of her freshman year when she decided that she was done, honey. I cannot even imagine how Mark and Dolores, first of all, Dolores, 
Mark and Dolores reacted to that. I'm sure they were, like, freaking quaking. Because for the first time, it seems like Francine's just like, nah, I'm going to do what I want to do. She's yeah. forging her own path. She's an adult. And for her, she was just happy to do all of these new adult things with her bestie at her side. Going from her very restricted life to then such a large Oklahoma State University. Yeah, it might have been student. scary. It's a lot. That's mm-hmm. a That's a big mm-hmm. fucking change. Yeah. Francine's parents, however had different plans for Francine, of course. They were like, basically, you cannot be friends with Cindy anymore. Sorry, we're not sorry. Tell that bitch she has to go. They had never been okay with Cindy dropping out of high school, and I'm sure that they thought she must have rubbed off on Francine, leading Francine to then drop out of college, right, before she didn't finish her freshman year. I also read in one report that they also didn't like Cindy's choice of dating partners because sometimes they weren't white. Oh, <laughs> And Mark what and Dolores were stuck in 1864, apparently, <laughs> and they didn't like what I read, interracial dating. So just imagine how they would have felt about us, especially after they found out that we not only are an interracial couple, but we also had a baby out of wedlock. They probably would have shot us. Breaking all the taboos, babe. <sighs> I'm so proud of us. <laughs> <laughs> So here's what happened. According to some reports, Cindy's folks didn't really like the steps and also didn't like how close Cindy and Francine had gotten. But Cindy was so manipulative that Mitzi Wynn still felt it necessary to warn Francine about being friends with her own daughter. And this is all leading up to why Francine's parents are like, you cannot be friends with her. So not only does she drop out of high school, she dates interracially. And also, her own mother is telling the steps, watch out for my daughter. That's tight. Cindy's Mm -hmm. tight. Yeah. I mean, if your mom is telling your friends to be careful around you. (laughs) But with all this animosity flying around, Francine's parents don't like Cindy. Francine doesn't like her own parents. Cindy doesn't like her mom. (laughs) And let's be real, her mom's not too fond of her daughter either. Plus, Cindy's mom isn't too keen on the steps either. And I'm sure Mark and Dolores' step are judging the hell out of Cindy's mom too. So yeah, surely someone amongst these messy, messy people was doomed. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) On the morning of June 8th, 1988. Police were summoned to Stillwater, Oklahoma after receiving a very disturbing call from a neighbor. When police arrived at the scene, they were met with a horrifying and grisly discovery. Any guesses? Someone was dead. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's dead. Mitzi Wynn, Cindy's mother, awoke in the early morning hours of June 8th to banging at the front door. When she opened the door, she was met by a hysterical Francine Stepp, who had just returned home from a sleepover at Cindy's apartment to find her father, Mark, and her mother, Dolores, dead. And yes, they had both been murdered. And to say their murders were brutal would be an understatement. When police entered the steps' bedroom, the alarm clock was going off, which honestly, I don't know why, that just makes this whole thing so much creepier because, like, they weren't going to wake up to, to turn it off, you know? The bodies of both Mark and Dolores were nude, and they were obviously beyond saving at that point. Mark had been shot 
and then stabbed eight times and his body was lying on the bed. Dolores was found on the floor of the bedroom. She had suffered 18 stab wounds with a knife still protruding from her rib cage. Holy fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's absolutely horrific. That's a lot. Yeah. The knife appeared to have been taken from the step's own kitchen. As a kitchen knife. Yeah, but like a like a steak knife. It was a steak knife because it was a small. Or was it like a cutting knife? Like like we have in a wood block, like a big. It was one of those wood block knives. They didn't. They weren't like the bread knife or the steak knife or the whatever. Was it one of the big ones though? Or was it like the paring knife? I does like it matter? Shield. Yeah, because I want to know if it's like seventeen little stabs or seventeen like big like like scream movie style stabs. Well, she died. Okay, I'm just trying to, like, get my head around how brutal. <laughs> I wanna, it was brutal. I want to scale. The knife is sticking out of her rib cage. Yeah, that's what I mean. If it's a little baby knife, I'm like, oh, that's not I don't think it brutal. was a little baby knife. I don't think so. You didn't do the research. Very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to punch you in the face. Aww. That's really mean. <laughs> it's rude. Just Google it. I did. (laughs) Are you kidding? Yes, I'm kidding. Okay, good. When they spoke to Francine, the police, she told police that she arrived home from her sleepover to find the front door ajar. She then made her way into the house and made the horrifying discovery before running next door to Cindy's mom's house. When police spoke to Cindy, she backed up Francine's alibi, but with some serious tood. As soon as police mentioned the murder, Cindy got immediately defensive. On an audio of the questioning obtained by Oxygen's Snap series, Cindy is heard saying, quote, I'll get an attorney. Fuck it. I'm not playing no more. I'm fed up. I've had a bad day. Bad <laughs> and police day. were like, Jesus Christ. Bad day murdering. Bitch, we just asked <laughs> you where Francine was. But they let her finish, and she reiterated that Francine had come over to her apartment around 9 the previous night and then returned back home early in the morning. Francine went to stay with her grandparents in the wake of her parents' death while police began their hunt for a gruesome murderer. And they had a lot of potential leads. Rumors ran rampant through Stillwater about the murderers being linked to a potential tie to a satanic cult. It was 1988, after all, and satanic panic was all the rage. Obviously, I'd love to dive into satanic panic sometime soon. It's just so oversaturated on podcasts. I find satanic panic really boring. I find it really annoying. Yeah, it's boring. Because I already know it's not real. Yeah, you're so like, there's no, like, there's no murders here. I'm so. like, where's the mystery? We know <laughs> right. it was a panic. That's why it's called the satanic panic. Right. But there are a lot of other cases I've come across where it's more of a question rather than an outright, oh my God, this was satanic panic. And those are the ones I'd like to get into because the one story, like the main story that always gets told over and over and over about those kids who claim that they were sexually assaulted, Mm. that one just makes me sad because people, innocent people were literally like convicted, jailed, hated, their lives were ruined all because of satanic panic. And so the whole thing just irritates me because I'm like, people should have been smarter than this, you know? But it's 1988 in this case, and when you have two gruesome, awful murders like this, the guy is shot and stabbed eight times, the wife is stabbed 18 times. I totally do not blame the police for holding on to this this possibility for maybe a little bit too long, you know? Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Classic Oklahoma. Yeah. Police had also zeroed in on a local gang, and they had ties to, like, drugs, and that was actually, like, even more of a possibility than the Satanic Panic. It seemed like, according to reports, that they might have even been close to making an arrest. But then they started looking into the step house, and they found some very questionable items, which led the investigation in quite a different direction. What were those questionable items, you might ask? Are you asking? (laughs) Yes? Yes. Well, homemade pornography featuring Mark and Dolores. That's fine. Oh, just you wait. Okay. As well as a few too many naked photographs. In one photograph, all three steps were in the photo. All naked. Raising questions about just what the hell was going on in the step house. It then came out that Mark and Dolores had joined a nudist colony. And they may have been putting their lifestyle choices on their daughter. Mm. Ooh, yeah. Mm. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Now, the biggest question is, why... They had to take pictures all together. That's a whole other thing, and it really begs the question, was Francine a victim of, of like, real abuse? And we're definitely going to get into this because it's the 80s, and abuse just wasn't treated the same way, unfortunately, as we'll see in this case. But it's super important to recognize that there may be so much more to this story that people have just never talked about. So we'll talk about it for sure in a little bit later on in this episode. Anyway, this nasty discovery got police thinking, and they were now suspicious of Francine's supposed sleepover alibi. It seemed like she may have actually had some real motive. That thinking was only furthered when a neighbor of the steps contacted police and let them know she had seen something peculiar the night the steps had been murdered. According to the neighbor, she had seen someone drive up to the steps' house, and that someone was their daughter, Francine. Police then began questioning Francine's schoolmates because, obviously, teenagers talk and they don't stop talking. And that's when things really started coming out. One classmate of Francine's, a teen named Michael Reed, told police that not only did Francine dislike her parents, he had witnessed firsthand both Francine and Cindy Sue Wynn plan the murders of Mark and Dolores Steph. They planned the whole thing out. At his house. (laughs) Which is just like, girls, 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 girls. But that wasn't all that Michael revealed. He also told police that he knew for a fact that the girls had even sought out a hitman named Jackie Philip Myers. I love it when there's a hitman in the story. Mm -hmm. When police questioned Jackie, he was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Damn, I thought they were just joking. (laughs) But he, on his business card, it's hitman. He, w- he didn't say that. He was like, oh, no, man. They asked me, but I was like, <laughs> like, literally, that's what I read. He laughed it off. But I was like, do we really trust Jackie Philip Myers? Do two, do two teenage girls just approach a random person? Maybe they could be that dumb. Sure. But I don't know. I never trust a hitman. Hell no. Even a potential hitman. Even when hitmen are like, I turned it down because I didn't want to. I'm like, I don't trust you still. You just didn't want to get caught because you knew that this was already falling apart before, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If a hitman got approached by two teenage girls, 
If I was a hitman, I'd be like, you're not the type of clients I want. Yeah, how, what are you going to pay with? Yeah, one, what are you going to pay with? <laughs> a bag of Skittles. And two, I don't trust you. I don't trust you're going to keep your mouth shut no, after this, right? Yeah, no. So police were like, uh, what? And he's like, yeah, no, I thought they were kidding. And they were like, okay, get the fuck out of here. Goodbye. So the detectives were like, all right, we got them. And so they brought Cindy back in for questioning. And this time, she didn't have any attitude. Just... It was just Cindy totally cracking under the pressure from the authorities. She told police that her and Francine first started throwing the idea of killing Mark and Dolores around when Mr. and Mrs. Stepp kicked Cindy out of their house before she got her own apartment. The girls had always thought the Steps were nuts, but kicking Cindy out, coupled with them then telling Francine that she was not to see Cindy anymore at all, was really the icing on the cake. But according to Cindy, that was all it was. It was just an idea. Francine was the one who took the idea and made it reality. But police were like, huh. All right, Cindy. You lying bitch. (laughs) (laughs) What Cindy did not know was that... uh, Why are there always helicopters? Like, how many... How many times a day do you think a helicopter is above our house? Of 75 times. Right. (laughs) Highland Park has a lot of helicopters. It's a lot of shit happening in Highland Park. I know. I wonder what Billie Eilish is doing right now. She's like, this fucking helicopter. She's probably, like, recording something. (laughs) (laughs) That's as far as my imagination could go. (laughs) She's probably, like, recording something on TiVo. It's very very imaginative of you. Dude, I think I'm tired. I was like, where are you going with this? Literally, I went nowhere. <laughs> I picked the most you obvious. You stepped one step. <laughs> Not even <forward>. a step. <laughs> That's funny. It's really funny. <laughs> All right. So Cindy's like, I didn't do anything. But she didn't know that police had tested the step home with luminol and discovered bloody footprints that clearly belonged to two different people. And those people were not Mark or Dolores. So they knew for a fact that there had been two other people present during the murders. Now, for anybody that doesn't know what luminol is, it's basically it's a chemical that can reveal blood stains that have been cleaned up. So when luminol reacts with blood, it exhibits this um, it glows chemi- it's a chemiluminescence is what it's called. Doesn't it glow in a like, black light? Yeah, though? yeah, yeah. It's chemiluminescence, which is basically a bright blue glow that occurs when the luminol touches a, a blood stain, even if that blood stain's been cleaned up. Because a lot of people don't realize that blood stays on surfaces for years. So yeah, basically that's why luminol is used in so many criminal investigations. It's incredibly useful. If you, especially when you know you're investigating a homicide or a missing person's case or something, right? You walk into a house of somebody that's missing for two weeks and you use luminol and all of a sudden you see these giant stains all over the carpet and you're like, hmm, this is questionable. I got a question for you. Sup? You ever thought about getting some luminol and just doing the house? No, but should we? No. (laughs) So even though Cindy was not owning up to any part of the murder, police already knew she was lying. They then decided to bring Francine back in, believing her to be the main culprit in the murder. After her grandfather encouraged her to be honest with police, he was like, Francine, honey. God damn. Tell tell the police you killed your parents. (laughs) (laughs) 
Francine started talking. In another audio tape obtained by Snapped on Oxygen, Francine is heard telling police, quote, I just wanted to be myself. I wanted to move away from my parents. They said that if I moved out, they wouldn't help pay for college. So, (laughs) I'm not sure if maybe this is somehow connected to the reason she ended up dropping out of college. Because it was one or the other. If she stayed in college, somebody had to pay for that. And that meant she had to stay at home. But she was so desperate to leave. Maybe she was like, whatever, I'll just drop out. Because I wouldn't be able to pay for it anyways once I leave. Because they've already told me, if I leave the house, they're not going to pay for my college. You know, Does that make sense? Yeah. Also, we're going on vacation and we have to be naked. Yeah. But also, like, this girl is freaking in college She's 18, and they're like, you cannot move out? Like, what the F? That is not normal. Yeah. Yeah. Like, where are the priorities here? They're not like, hey, we're proud of you for making moves in your life. Like, good job growing up. Good job taking your life into your own hands. They're like, you will not move out of our house because they need to have control over everything. If you want to, she had If you want to go to college. She could have gone to a community college. Okay, sure. But like, what, that doesn't, that's not good parenting. I'm sorry. That's not the worst type of support. They're definitely not good parents. I mean, once Harrison wants to leave, we'll be like, all right, let's help you pack. (laughs) Bye. Just kidding. I won't. I'd be crying my eyes out the whole time. I can't even think about it. It makes me so sad. (laughs) So it seems like Francine's freedom meant more to her than her parents paying her tuition, right? She just wanted out. Mm. Francine also echoed Cindy's claims that the icing on the cake had been Mark and Dolores telling Francine that she was no longer allowed to see Cindy. Francine also told police that Cindy had not participated in the actual killings, but she had helped Francine plan the murders, and then she helped her clean up the entire thing and dispose of evidence. (laughs) <laughs> right. She's been a good friend. Mm-hmm. Francine then dropped a bombshell. Her and Cindy were not done. They planned on waiting for things to cool down in the investigation into the Steps murders, and then they were fully committed to moving on to Cindy's parents. Police then went back to Cindy and were like, hey, so remember how you said you thought you were just shooting ideas around regarding murdering the Steps? Well, Francine has a different story, and she also said that then you guys were going to kill your own parents, and that you definitely helped her clean up all of the evidence and everything else. And Sandy, Sandy, and Cindy's like, okay, fine, fine. I was there. But as soon as that crazy bitch started throwing her knife around, I ran out of the house. I swear. That's not a real quote. I just am imagining that's what she said. this is the Lifetime movie version. But again, luminol tests don't lie and had already revealed both Francine and Cindy's bloody footprints. So if Cindy had left as soon as shit got real, how did her bloody footprints end up at the scene, right? Yeah. Yeah. There could have been blood poured over her footprints, but a print of your shoe in blood, that only happens one way. It means you stepped in blood, and then you stepped on the floor, and then you wiped it up. Yeah, I mean, Cindy's full of shit. Yeah. On July July 13th... (laughs) (laughs) You Irish? (laughs) On July 13th, just over a month after Mark and Dolores were brutally murdered, Francine Stepp and Cindy Sue Wynn were arrested and charged with first-degree murder. Cindy faced up to 30 years in prison for being an accessory to murder, as well as solicitation of murder, thanks to that hitman they tried to hire. 30 years? Mm Mm-hmm. Holy fuck. 
But the prosecution were like, damn it, we can't prove all of these things. We can't really prove that she participated. Francine said she didn't. All these things. So ultimately, she was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Mm. She was released in 1999, and she's been off the radar ever since. Nobody knows what happened to her because she changed her name, assumed a new identity, and was like, all right, well, wiping my life clean of that, I'm just going to go live a new life. And I'm sure she did. I'm sure she moved on with her life. She went to jail when she was 18, 19? 19. So she got out when she was 29? She was 29. I'm 29. What are you trying to tell me? I'm just trying to say. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying to say that that's not like old. You still have a whole life ahead of you. Yeah. We're not even married yet. She could still meet someone, get married, have kids. Like, you know what I'm saying? She could do all the things. Why aren't we married yet? Oh my fucking (laughs) God. I was just kidding. I was just kidding. No, you weren't. I read in reports that she, in front of the judge, when the judge did sentence her, she was facing up to 30 years. And so she stood there calmly with her hands in her pockets, and the judge was like, I'm sentencing you to 10 years. And she just broke down. And everyone was like, bitch, you were up for 30 years. Like, you could have gotten 30 years. You got 10 years, which is, like, basically the minimum. But when you're 19, 10 years is more than half your life. Imagine the judge said 30. Sure. (laughs) If I were her and I was facing 30 years, I'd be like, oh, my God, I hope it's 10. I hope it's 10. I hope it's 10. You know? Babe, look what happened to you in the last 10 years. Yeah, that's true. My whole life changed. I moved out here when I was 19. Yeah, you had a baby. I don't know if you forgot that one. Oh, yeah. Totally forgot about that. <laughs> That's right. Ten <laughs> My years, life changed because I had a baby. 10 years is a long time. Yeah, you're like, oh, I moved to LA. That was the last important thing that but happened. But most importantly, <laughs> I bore a child. No, you're right. 10 years is a long time. And I guess no matter In your what, 20s, too. Yeah. 10 years is a yeah. long A lot of things happen. Between 19 and 29, a lot of fucking things happened. Mm -hmm. Francine pled guilty to first-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison. With the possibility of parole, however. Though she has been denied parole five times. With the last attempt at parole being this past July. So like a month and a half ago. She Mm. went up against the parole board and they were like, nah, mm mm-mm. According to prison records, Francine Stepp is a model inmate. Her last misconduct citation was all the way back in 1991, and ever since, she's had zero issues. She scored impeccably on a risk assessment evaluation, but still, the parole board is just not quite ready to let Francine out of prison. She's currently incarcerated at the Mabel Bassett Correctional Center. So I'm going to link an article below, a blog post that Mark Stepp's former co-worker posted. It's actually really interesting. He said that about a month before Mark was murdered, they went out on a job and they had gotten the job done early. They were all stoked. There's like four guys. They were all stoked to be able to return to work, finish up and go home. Mm. And he said that Mark kept trying to prolong the outing. He, like, he didn't want to go home. He kind of felt for the guy. He was like, ah, maybe there's some shit happening at home. He clearly doesn't want to go home. Mm. He doesn't want the day to be over. And instead, Mark suggested that they all go to a strip club. He's like, well, none of us were that close. He said it stuck with him so much because he kept thinking about it. Like, that was weird. And then... He's murdered not that long afterwards. And then that's when all these things started like kind of coming out with that guy saying that. And then also people saying like they were into some weird shit. No judgment on whatever you do in your home. 
it becomes a little bit weird when you're involving your teenage daughter in those things. Going back a little bit, pro tip, 3 p.m. is the best time to go to a strip club. Okay. All right. Put it in your pants. All right. I'm straight up. That's a pro tip. How do you know? It's been a long time since you've been to a strip club. Things might have changed. Right? Sure. Yeah. And six years ago, that was the best time to go to a strip club. Six years? You haven't gone to a strip club in six years? I don't fucking know. I, I lost my punch card of strip clubs. <laughs> Do they really have punch cards? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, get nine strips, get the tenth free. I was like, whoa, is it like, um, <laughs> is it like the sandwich place up the street? <laughs> Listen, I only ever went for the chicken wings. <laughs> is that a sexual term? No, isn't that what they say about like uh, Hooters? Yeah, I only go for the Which wings. Which is stupid. <laughs> I mean, so Hooters stupid. chicken wings are pretty damn good. Are they, though? Have you had them? No. Oh, well, then you can't say anything. I've had them. <laughs> they're I delicious. I didn't say they're not. I said, are they? No, they are. <laughs> no, but they are good. <laughs> are they, though? Yeah. We can go there if you want. I've stayed in the Hooters Hotel and Casino oh, yeah? in Vegas. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because you know how much it is on a Monday night? Hmm. $10 for a room. <laughs> That's not a joke. <laughs> I almost just choked over it. <laughs> it's off, off, off strip. It's $10 to stay at the Hooters Hotel? Yeah. Do they have a bunch of Hooters girls walking around? No. Then what is the point? I, I don't know. You can smoke inside. You can smoke in the rooms. Gross. Oh, it's it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> that is disgusting. Oh, it's not good. I'm sure people aren't like, oh, uh, let's go to stay at Hooters because you can smoke in the rooms. Oh my God. Also, it's $10. <laughs> They're like, this place is cheap. I have no money. Yeah. Do they have a casino? Yeah. The Hooters Casino? Yeah, I mean, they have a casino floor, just like every I other I bet place. the jackpot's like $40 at those casinos. I don't know. I never spent much time there. I always wonder, like, those casinos in Vegas, like the real shit ones, if, like, the jackpots are just awful. So, moral of the story, she's been denied parole five times. Yeah. I really do hope that the issue of potential abuse at the hands of her parents has come up during Francine's parole attempts. And that it has been strongly considered, but I just don't know. Every single article I read, it really bummed me out because all of the headlines of the article, like the titles, were Teen Slain's Parents After Parents Refuse. What's Slain's? Teens. Teen. (laughs) Slain. Slain. Slain Parents. Slain Parents. Past tense. Yeah, I'm just. Teen Slay's Parents. Yeah, maybe. Slain. Parents of teen. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Slain is an adjective, isn't it? It's a describing word. Now you're using fancy words. I don't <laughs> adjective? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It just bummed me out that the, every single title was like, teen kills parents after parents refused to let her see her friend. Clearly the narrative was Francine killed her parents because they were like, you're not allowed to hang out with Cindy. Right. I didn't find out about the potential abuse until like, Seven articles in. The photograph that was mentioned in the article was Francine in a handstand, and each of her parents were holding a leg. Like the flying W. What What the hell? This is some clown-ass shit. Like, that's not normal. It's definitely strange. Yes! It's definitely strange. I really do hope that they are considering... The shit that she went through as a child. Because I do think, if anything, that might allow any suggestion that the murders against her parents were an isolated incident. Don't you think that the one thing working against her is the fact that she was the one that told police that they then fully planned on killing Mitzi? The fact that 
it was such a brutal murder. It's so insanely frenzied that she wasn't in control, right? So that's like that's like a lifetime of totally. anger to- coming I, out. Yeah, I could totally see that. I just think that the difference between the frenzy, the frenzy and the not frenzy is how frenzied is it if you and your friend are planning to do it for all this time and then your friend goes in there with you and helps yeah. you plan it, then helps you clean it. Like, that doesn't seem frenzied. The actual murder itself seems right. frenzied. Right. But all the lead up to it, all the planning and then all the cleanup and then the running across the st- or running next door to be like, they're dead. All of that seems very planned out. And the just all of the premeditation of the murders is what I think is keeping her from being paroled because there was just so much thought. And for a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old to think that much about something is worrisome to the court. Yeah, I mean, I never planned to kill my parents, but I planned for years to go to Tokyo, but then maybe... <laughs> this analogy oh, doesn't make sense. <laughs> but when I go to Tokyo, maybe I'll be crazy. <laughs> maybe I'll go to Tokyo 18 times. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. What the... <laughs> I don't know, I'm just trying to... I'm, I'm always trying to play devil's advocate, right? So, like, I can imagine... Two teenage girls that have problems with their parents mm-hmm. maybe make up a story about killing their parents. Mm-hmm. And then maybe that's how they just talk about it all the time. They're like, oh, let's talk about it. And then one, like, it happens and she loses it. Loses the plot. Goes crazy. Yeah. I don't know. I Like, it's awful. But how long has it been now? Since, what, 80, what, 88? 88. So how I do the math for me? <laughs> 33 years? 32 I mean, years? she's a different person, surely. And she's had a perfect, what, prison record? Yeah, perfect. They, like, rank you on a scale of, like, zero to six of your risk. Was six bad? Six is the worst, and she mm. got a zero. She got a degree in, in prison as well. I just think... It's gonna this s- is it's a gonna, tough one. It's going to sound really fucked up again, but, like, I just think... One, she was a teenager. Two, she lived in a... Very mm-hmm. high stress mm-hmm. home life environment. Three, she obviously committed one of the worst crimes you can commit, and she has been sent to jail. She's been punished. Mm-hmm. It's now 30, what? 30, 30, 32 years. 32 years later, she's, she's a different person. Yeah. She's been in jail longer than she was alive before mm-hmm. she went to jail. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that's cruel and unusual to keep someone in jail for that long unless she like unless they're like a serial killer or like a right. serial rapist or something you know yeah so bef- there was a rule there was a law that was enacted after she was sentenced that basically was like when you're sentenced to life with parole you have to serve at least 85% of your of your sentence but she narrowly escaped that so for her technically she would have to serve 38 years so but she can't, the judge can still be nice. They can't grant her early release or early parole. But she's been denied parole, so they already... So they, they're clearly doing that. But I'd be curious to see once she hits that 38-year mark, if they're just being bitter because they want to stick to the system that's in place, and they're just like, no, you killed two people brutally, so we're going to keep you here 
for the maximum that we can keep you here without having to seriously consider parole. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe when they when she has a parole here, she's like, oh, I fucking hate him still. Like, yeah, maybe. I don't know. We don't know. Right. Yeah, we don't know. Because she could go in there and be like, I don't have any remorse. Right. And that's the other thing is like you have to, you basically have to say you're guilty of this thing and you feel really, 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 really bad in order for the court to grant you parole. I don't know. The whole system is designed to rehabilitate you. And the reason why I wanted to do this case before I like even realized all the other shit that came with it, but the reason why I want to do this case is I noticed online people are very, very split on the way that they feel about Francine's step. A lot of people are like, uh... She got what she deserved. She didn't want her parents anymore. Well, now she's in jail. She never has to see them again either. She, she, now she doesn't have her parents, but she also doesn't have her freedom. And a lot of other people are like, have we really truly considered what the hell this girl went through as a child and a teenager? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Was her life in danger? No. But what the hell was it doing to her mentally? What has she said about it? Nothing? I don't know. I have no idea. After living a severely sheltered life, Nobody knows what's going through her head. I think that's the real story. I would be curious to see. Like, she was just denied parole in July, okay? I would be curious to see if in six years she is granted parole. And if she is, then you'd know that the, the court was just holding on to it just because they can. Yeah. And that would also be kind of shitty. And then I don't know what the hell came of Cindy Sue Wynn. Her name's obviously not Cindy Sue Wynn anymore. But I would be curious to see if anything did come of her because out of the two of them, the clearly the more volatile one was Cindy. Francine snapped, but I also believe that she was pretty easily manipulated, you know? She loved Cindy. Cindy was her escape. Like she looked up to her. She wanted her life. She wanted everything about her. Yeah, so that's a that's whole story is like so difficult to judge because if you have the wherewithal and like the empathy to put yourself in her shoes where like you have no friends you're Mm -hmm. not allowed to do anything the one person in your life is this fucking crazy girl that lives next door right Mm -hmm. and is completely opposite to you and then like maybe that girl's like hey let's fucking like oh your problem is your parents let's kill it. like if that's that's she's like your guard essentially that's your one outlet that isn't right. your parents right plus abuse maybe it's just there's so many like maybes who knows like what's like don't know but maybe Cindy was just like a dumb bitch who just talks shit totally and is like almost innocent almost innocent you know what I mean and just felt like obligated to be like like maybe Francine was like, I fucking hate my parents. I want to kill them. And Cindy's like, oh, this is, I'm just going to say that. Like, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like you just don't know. You don't it's, know. It's so gray. Yeah. And uh, another thing that really intrigued me about this case was just the amount of people that were like, this family was perfect. They were perfect. They were absolutely perfect, which just shows like you never really know what's going on behind closed doors. And like they were, they did like this softball team I guess they like coached or sponsored or whatever and like they all played softball together and they were just known around town and they were always together but obviously we know they were always together because her parents didn't allow her to be anywhere else well I think actually when someone says someone's family is perfect I don't think we would describe our family as perfect hell no like ever I don't think anybody else would either and then when you see people like having it out on the street you're like oh that's fucked up but like I can relate Right? Well, it's, nor- it's normalness, you know? <laughs> right? But if you see someone who's so buttoned up, 
and they're they're repressing their actual fears you're like, so hard. Uh, you're like, ooh, he's a serial killer. That's for not sure. that's not good. No, it's true though. I think you're 100 percent right. There's so many questions that can be asked. There's so many avenues you can go down with this with this case. But it was so interesting and different. And I was really again surprised that it's not a bigger case because. This girl stabbed her mother 18 times, left a knife in her chest, shot her dad and stabbed him eight times. Yeah. You really have to question, like, oh. Knife attacks are generally, like, more uh, fucked up. Crime of passions, for sure, but, like, or crimes of passion. But I just, uh, 18 times left a knife in her chest. That's what I mean. It's like, it's out of control. You've got to be out of control. You can't even say she's crazy. No, you can't. You know what I mean? You like, can't you, say she's crazy. You can't, like, there's so many different factors in it. You can't say who was the instigator, like, who was the mastermind. You can't really say the motivation. You, you know what happened. Like, you know who got murdered and who did it. But you can't even say, like, why, really. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think that's probably why people haven't covered it. It's because yeah. it's, like, too something. Yeah. I think my biggest issue is the way it's portrayed in the media. It's just, like... Francine didn't like that her parents said you can't be best friends with that girl, so she killed them. I think there's way more to it than just that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think that's such a shallow, awful, clickbaity type thing. It's a it's headline. Like, yeah, and it's way more interesting. It's like, oh my God, this dumb bitch got revenge because her parents said no hanging out with her. That's not it. She suffered years of of absolute domineering authority and like not being allowed to live a normal life. And that can make you go a little bit, woohoo. But I also feel like murder is murder, and there has to be a way to punish that. I do believe after all these years, should she still be in prison? She clearly doesn't pose a threat in prison. What makes these people think that she'd pose a threat outside? That's, I guess, the biggest debate. I also think there's more to Mark's, Mark's step story as well. I think there was more going on with him than there was with Dolores. And I also read a couple of um, uh, statements made by friends and neighbors and whatever people close to the family that said Mark was definitely the more chill, laid-back one, and Dolores was like a type A. Oh, she was the uptight person? Well, she was just like a—she was like the boss, the boss of the house. And I just feel like Mark didn't want to go home. Like, he didn't enjoy going home. He didn't necessarily enjoy being at home as much, you know? I feel that. I feel that. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I think we're equals in this house. No, you don't. No, I don't. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a real tough case. Interest, yeah. Very interesting. A lot of good mm-hmm. debate. We're Definitely. Nev- we're never going to know the end. Well, maybe in six years. We'll uh, yeah, do maybe an update. Maybe not. <laughs> All right, you guys, let us know your thoughts on this case and send some suggestions for cases to cover in upcoming episodes. You can email me at letmetelyouastorypod at gmail.com. You can follow Nils and I on Instagram. I am at Sinead DeFries, and Nils is at Nils Davey, which is linked in the description box below. There's also a link to support the show. Uh, anything helps, truly, truly. We'd love to make more of these, but, you know, we have jobs, so... If you want us to quit our jobs and make podcasts all the time, <laughs> give us money. It's I make, really that simple. I make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, so, so you, you guys know to donate, donate a lot, lot of money. <laughs> I also travel a lot, so I need like airplane tickets, <laughs> hotels. Like, I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah, just fund our lifestyle so we can quit and stay home and live in our sweats and make podcasts for you. Also, you guys, um, 
What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Rate and review the show. Please say something nice. That really helps get the word out. And it really, really, really does help because we want the show to be heard and we want these stories to be heard. And I strive to tell stories that are not being overly told on podcasts because at the end of at the core of all of these stories, there is a victim and their stories deserve to be heard. So I definitely just want to get the word out. And I, I really enjoy telling these stories. So please leave a rating and a review and we will see you guys. Very, very soon. Bye. Bye. We once went to see Chris's brother fight Jordan, and it was at, like, the silver nugget. Not the golden nugget, the (laughs) silver nugget. And I swear to God, it was, like, 40 minutes out of Vegas. (laughs) It's not Vegas. Uh, It was still Vegas. It was just, like, a fucked up That's, like, prim. So we went, no, (laughs) no, not 40 minutes. It seemed like 40 minutes. So we went there, we watched him fight, he lost. Um, Shame. Eric and I got a three ninety nine ribeye meal. Ew. Meal. Ew. Right? And, and you we lived to tell the we tale? Were, we were cutting it. I swear to God, me and him ate, like, there was one good inch and the rest was just, like, sinew and, like, fat. Uh, that right? is, honestly, that is disgusting. <laughs> right? But we ate the good inch, <laughs> inch square. Then we all left the casino. It was all old people. We all left the casino, couldn't get an Uber. Like, no Uber. Like, I ended up calling a taxi and they're like, we're not coming out there. Like, it's not worth me coming out there to pick you up. <laughs> so we literally walked for, like, two hours to get back to Vegas. It was <laughs> insane. And it was, like, 120 degrees at night. It was insane. Why do you do this, these things to yourself? I was supporting a homeboy having a fight. First of all. Three ninety nine for a ribeye meal. You can't even get three ninety nine ribeye like a pound at Vaughn's. Well, that was during Eric and mine's Arby stage. Ugh, Arby's. that's disgusting. That is disgusting. <laughs> Did you eat Arby's? I used to take photos of him eating Arby's, but you never ate it. No, I'm not an Arby's guy. No one's an Arby's guy. The last time I had Arby's was I was on a road trip, a long one, with my buddy, and we ate like fucking McDonald's for like. Four days in a row. Because it, it was like in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yes. And I was like, I just need something different. And <laughs> something different was Arby's like gray meat sandwich. You just, you can't get the meat at Arby's. You got to get a Jamocha shake and curly that's... fries. That's it. That's all you get at Arby's. I needed, I needed meat. Jamocha shakes are delicious. Curly fries, delicious. Well, that was in 2007 was the last time I yeah. had Arby's. Um, anyways, thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.